Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a God that makes the cares and the burdens of this world grow strangely dim. God that sees what we're dealing with, what this morning looked like, what this afternoon holds, what this week is going to have in it. Lord, and that you see it all, and that you say, your word says, to cast your cares and your burdens on your shoulders. Lord Jesus, I ask that this week we would know that our burdens, they rest on shoulders that are absolutely capable of carrying them. God, that we would rest in the fact that, that you, are no, uh, you are not naive to our struggles. You are not deaf to our prayers. Lord, but that you are walking with us every single step of the way. Father God, this morning, uh, we get to talk through James again. Lord, and it, it means nothing if we are not ready and prepared to hear what you have to say. So, Lord, I pray that, that we would have open ears, that we would have softened hearts. Lord, in every action or reaction that you have planned for us after we hear this sermon, Lord, that we would boldly and diligently seek that out. Lord Jesus, this morning we ask that you would absolutely have your way in our building. Lord, that you would come near to us. Lord, and that we would be able to feel your presence and hear your word and receive them until life change. Father God, we love you so much, and it's in your precious and holy name of Jesus, the name above all names, that we pray these things. Amen. It's a little warm in here this morning, guys. We might have to move over to my house pretty soon, huh? <laughs> Carol's like, amen, preach it, sister, and I haven't even said anything. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to week three of James, a faith that walks. And I don't know about you, but James messes me up. <laughs> Um, how many of you guys are walking through the reading challenge right now? We have been, yes, reading James once a week. I love all those hands. If you haven't started yet, uh, turn to your neighbor and be like, hey, let's start this week. Oh, how the tables have turned. Uh, but, but we have been walking through James, and James just, it messes me up. Like every time I open it, I kind of dread it because I'm going to find another way that I need to change or adjust my life. And I think Pastor Kirk put it perfectly last week. James is that guy. You know, he's the guy that tells you what you should be doing, whether or not you want to do what you should do. Um, he's the guy that tells you to go back into Walmart when you realize that you forgot to scan something in self-checkout, you know? Uh, he's the guy that tells you to be nice to your family because they're your family and you only have one of them even though you have a laundry list of reasons why you don't need to be nice to your family. Uh, he is the kind of guy that continually reminds you that there's always going to be a bad choice, and you have to choose relentlessly the right one. What Pastor Kurt neglected to tell you is that Kurt is one of that, those guys, okay? Uh, and all the people mentor, being mentored by him are like, amen, all right? Uh, but, but James, I think you have to be really careful with James because, because he's that guy, because he's convicting, 
sometimes you just want to unfriend that guy, right? You just don't want to be around that guy. And James has a reputation for this. Uh, Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant church, okay? He's the guy that saw 95 things wrong with the church, and he went to the church at Wittenberg, and he nailed them to the door, which sparked the Reformation, without which we would not be in this building. And yet that guy, Martin Luther, hated the book of James. Uh, He said that it was a letter of straw. He said that you should just rip it out. He even went as far as to say that it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Luther did not like that guy, all right? Uh, He goes on to say this. He says, The most outrageous heresy that has ever plagued the mind of a man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an unholy God. Now, Martin Luther isn't just referring to Christianity when he says this. He's referring to any religion, because every religion has some sort of a pathway uh, to salvation or to enlightenment, where by you do something that deserves salvation or enlightenment. And usually what it looks like is that God plus your works guarantee your salvation. And Christianity, it sets itself apart in that all the way, because Christianity is set apart by grace, because we believe that God, he made a way, that he loved us so much, that he sent his son, and eternal life is available to you not because you are good enough, uh, not because of anything you could do, but because he loves you so much. And Luther was all about that. He all, it was all about the fact that we don't have to go through hoops to know that Jesus loves us. Uh, this is the foundation of our faith. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Luther, he, he preaches that passionately. He writes about it. He nails things on a church because of it. And you will imagine his surprise when he gets to James chapter 2. And it says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say to them, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Catch this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now you heard that correctly. Scripture says that faith is not enough. And at face value, when you read those two scriptures side by side, they seem incredibly contradictory. Uh, Skeptics would say that this is a hole in our faith, that we don't know what we're talking about. It's no wonder Luther wanted to rip it out. Our whole faith hinges on grace. And we have to stop and think, like, is he a heretic? You know, was, was Luther onto the right idea? And I'm going to argue today, no. In fact, what I'm going to argue is that what Paul referred to in Ephesians doesn't contradict what James is talking about in James chapter 2. So let's jump in. Uh, how many of you guys shop at, like, Sam's Club or Costco or have shopped there before? Yeah. 
It's like the only place that has enough toilet paper to stock my linen closet, right? Uh, it's fabulous. I, I recently got a Sam's Club membership, and man, I have to like talk myself down when I go in there because I just want to buy it all in bulk, you know? <laughs> Never go to the store again. I, I can talk myself into stupid things even, like, man, if I had shoelaces in bulk, I would never have to come back here, which is like, I don't even wear shoelaces, like, whatever. But, but I love going there, and I have to practice some self-control. But what James and what, it, what Paul is talking about, uh, I think has to do a lot with, you know, you go into the store, and when you're leaving that store, there's a guy with a yellow highlighter, and his full-time task, and this is not a rhetorical question, what does he do? He checks your receipt. Um, another name for receipt is proof of purchase. And so the difference between Paul and James is the difference between your Sam's Club membership and what happens as you exit. Uh, it's a difference. Uh, Paul is talking about how you got into a relationship with Christ to begin with. And he says, you have been given it freely. And James is talking about your proof of purchase. What happens as you leave the doors? See, Paul is facing the issue of legalism. And James is facing the issue of laxity. Paul is facing the issue of people that are legalistic, that say, you have to do this, 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 and this to be saved. And he says, no, 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 no. Grace. And James is addressing people that have taken grace for granted, that say, what does it matter how I live my life? I have already made the decision to follow Jesus. So they're having two different conversations with two different people groups, but both have incredible legitimacy. Because if I go to Costco or Sam's, and I fill up my cart, and I do all these works, and I get to the checkout, and I don't have a membership, that's awkward. And on the same right, if I go there and I have a membership, but I never buy or do anything in there, well, that's just a waste. And so they're talking two different things. Paul is talking about the root of our salvation, and James, he's talking about the fruit. Which, by the way, like, let's talk about fruit. Uh, do I have any dendrologists in the room? Dendrologists? Uh, People that know stuff about trees, anybody? Nobody, got it, okay. Well, I have a picture for you and I want you to tell me what kind of tree this is. That's an apple, I thought you knew nothing about trees, all right? That's an apple tree, how do we know it's an apple tree? It's got, all right, get back, right? Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but if this tree had oranges, it would not be an apple tree. Uh, in fact, what kind of tree would it be? See, you guys are amateur dendrologists. I knew it. I knew it. And Jesus, he talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can identify them by their fruit. Imagine that. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good, fruit, good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And this is where it gets a little, little too personal, and we're not even in James. It says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. 
Let's catch that phrase one more time. So you can identify people by their actions. Listen, James is saying salvation should produce fruit. And today I want to do is unpack two statements about faith, two absolute facts that you probably already know, but maybe you haven't unpacked them and processed what they mean for your life. And the first one is this, faith produces fruit, period. Will you say that with me? Faith produces fruit, period. Uh, a famous speaker and pastor and author, his name is Tony Campolo, and he's a really funny guy. He's a Baptist preacher, pretty famous, and uh, he talks and he tells a story about how he got mugged at gunpoint when he was in Philadelphia. And knowing Tony Campolo, he starts a conversation with the guy. <laughs> and so as he's being mugged, he starts to have a conversation. He says, well, I'm not going to have much money because I'm a Baptist preacher. And the mugger returns and he says, that's so cool, I'm a Baptist too. <laughs> right? Like, really? Really are you? Uh, faith produces fruit. And is it fair to say that in our day and age and in James's as well, that some people have a lot of things to say, but no fruit to back it up? James says there is a close relationship between faith and fruit. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? In other words, James says, when you look at your life and you don't see fruit, you don't see faith either. Now, I have a garden, and let me tell you what, if I nurtured a tomato plant from the seed, I planted it, I watered it, you know, I sang some Beyonce to it, I don't know, and I, I made sure the weeds weren't rude to it, and I nurtured, and I put miracle Grow on it, and I waited, and I waited, and it got huge and never produced a single tomato. You know what my first question is going to be? Was this even a tomato plant to begin with? <laughs> right? Was I confused? And that's what James is saying. He says he's not comparing uh, nominal faith and strong faith. Nah, he's saying there's no such thing as nominal faith. You either have faith or no faith. And this is a pretty bold statement because he says if you have a life-changing faith that does not change your life, we have to start questioning if it was even a tomato plant to begin with. And he says this multiple times. He says, verse 17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead. And what's that last word? Useless. Yikes. James. Verse 20, how foolish. Can you see that faith without deeds is, there's that word again, useless. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good, good works. And what James is posing at the beginning of chapter 2 is a rhetorical question that he continues to answer over and over again. Can faith without works save anybody? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Uh, there was a recent Barna study that said there were 45% of Americans were born-again Christians. 45%. That's a lot. And when you read that, it's kind of exciting. Until you read the footnotes published by the surveyor himself, it says 
But even survey author George Barna agrees that not all born-again Christians are bearing fruit. What we are finding is that there is still a lot of superficiality related to the fact that a lot of people have recognized that the spiritual dimension of their life is important. Barna finds that 36% of Americans are what he calls notional Christians. They describe themselves as Christians, but do not meet the born-again definition. And what George Barna and what James is saying, point blank, is talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Like, in Matthew, Jesus says the same thing. He says, not all who call to me, O Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So who will? Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Ouch. And, and James, he provides a prime example for this in verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And so when I look at this text in the original Greek, there's some arguments on whether this phrase was actually in uh, the passive tense or the middle tense. And that doesn't mean a lot for us because we, we like three tenses, not, you know, six. Uh, but, but what that would sound like in our modern-day vernacular, if it was written in passive tense, would be, go ahead and eat well, be good, I hope it goes well, shrug, you know. <laughs> I hope it happens. What it would mean in the middle tense, though, is go warm and feed yourself. You got yourself into this mess, get yourself out of it. Either way, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And James, he says, we are really good at verbalizing our faith. But are we really good at acting it out? It's not just posting a bunch of stuff on Facebook and bringing it up in conversations and posting the things that you want to post and screaming it from the mountaintops. No, where the rubber meets the road is when I see my brother in harm's way and I have a choice. And what I do with that choice matters. Verse 18, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I like that. It's just like breaking down semantics, right? But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now you might say, is James saying I have to serve? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but is James saying that your service is what guarantees you a spot into heaven? Absolutely not. It is not a step or a pathway no, it's the evidence that salvation is real in my life. I love how Tim Keller puts this. He says, mercy is a full range of human needs, is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. Mercy is not optional or an addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out into deeds of mercy is the inevitable sign of true faith. Meaning, if I don't have those good deeds, if I don't have acts of mercy, I have to wonder if I have truly received salvation. 
And in case you wonder if this is just some guy's theory, 1 John 3, verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Folks, James is not saying you have to do good works to be saved. He is saying if you are saved, you will. (laughs) He is saying good works are not a step that we take in earning salvation. They are the fruit of the fact that salvation is real. And like, how's that for rocking your world? And that, that's just the first one. Like, James messes me up, okay? Uh, and that's just the first one. The second one is faith doesn't stop at belief. Faith doesn't stop at belief. James 2, verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So anyone can believe, and I will prove that to you. I actually have a song to listen to, um, and I want you to listen to this song, and I want you to uh, tell me if you recognize it by, you know, a simple raise of your hand if you're not too embarrassed. So go ahead, play this song. Wait, it'll get to the chorus, and then we can start, you know, waving our hands. It's fine. have to listen to the rest of it, you know? Uh, (laughs) They're like, oh, baby, no. Uh, But that is Baby by Justin Bieber, right? Uh, And we we love Justin Bieber. Do you know what true Justin Bieber fans are called? Believers. I felt sick just saying it. Do we have any believers? Okay, good. I was really nervous I was going to have to escort you out, so uh, that works all in our favor. But, but Justin Bieber got incredibly famous really quick, didn't he? And we had that song, and it was playing over and over again on the radio. And I was in college when it came out. And I, he's like 14 years old, and I have like 20-year-old girls in my dorm that are like swooning after him. I'm like, what is going on? And then something kind of shifted in Justin Bieber's life in 2014. Uh, he got arrested uh, because he was racing cars and doing drugs. And so all of these fans of his that are believers were really upset. And not all of them did something about it, but this one girl who is eight years old, her name is Serafina, she decided she was going to do something about it. And I actually have a picture of uh, this letter that she wrote Justin Bieber, and you, you have to hear this. He says, Dear Justin Bieber, I am very disappointed. It breaks my heart that you were in jail for just one night. I loved most of your songs. I danced to them a lot. So many things have changed this year, and this is the biggest one yet. Why did you do it? Why did you race cars? What made you do it? Didn't you know it was a bad thing to do? You had such a great life. I have read your books and watched your movies. You've had something special, but you gave it up for drugs. My whole life I've been warned about drugs, and now my idols started taking them. There are many drunk people in this world, and you have become one of them. That's sad to me. I think you should be disappointed in yourself. Just take a minute and think about what you did. Sincerely, (laughs) Serafina, age eight. Here's my point. (laughs) Belief is not enough. There are many people that have faith that 
know more than I do. They know the creeds and the songs and the hymns and everything. But it hasn't changed what they're doing with their lives. And what James says to the people that know all the right things to say and have been sermoned to death is big deal. Big deal. We should be embarrassed by that kind of faith. And he says, what good is it if you have life-changing faith, but it doesn't actually change your life? And he goes on in that verse, he says, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in fear. He says, big deal. You believe. Even Satan believes. Uh, you want to know what Satan probably believes? He believes in the deity of Christ. Uh, he believes that there is a heaven and a hell. Uh, he believes that Christ is the Son of God. And the demons believe that. And what happens, the scripture says, is that they shudder in fear. At least there's a reaction out of them. At least something happens when they internalize that belief. We, many people say they believe, yet it doesn't change anything. We say that we believe, but it, our weeks, our money, our, the people that we talk to, all of those things, they don't change at all. And James is saying, how is that even possible? Like, do you understand grace if you are not living it out? You know that verse that we started with in Ephesians, it talks about, by grace alone you have been saved, and it's this beautiful verse. And we stop reading, because in the next one, and I want you to listen to this verse, and I, if you need to close your eyes but as I read it, but I want you to listen to this verse, and imagine that Jesus himself is saying this to you. It says, for you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In this verse, God says, you are my handiwork. You were created with a divine purpose. You were created to do the things that I see. You were created to walk through the door. You were created to step up. You were created to be ambassadors of my grace and my mercy and my love. What are you doing with it? See, faith by itself isn't enough, and that's not heresy. That's not faith-based works. Uh, faith in Christ, it leads to life change. It's the only possible outcome. And when we understand and trust who Jesus is, it drastically and profoundly changes how we live our lives. And I think that we get into a rut as Christ followers where we have made the decision, but we have not decided on the direction. We have made the decision to follow Christ, but that has not changed the direction of our lives. Listen, each one of you knows people that I have never met that don't know the Lord, that don't know his love and his mercy like you and I do. And if you are not praying for them, if you are not talking to them, maybe nobody else is. So I want you to bow your heads with me and I, I want to ask you this question as we, we enter into a time of worship and prayer. Are you willing to let your faith change you? Are you willing 
to let God not just be the decision that you follow, but the direction that you run after. This is not a salvation message. Uh, For many of us, we have already made that decision. But are we committing to the direction of how Christ leads us? And that person that's popping into your mind, that way that God is calling you to live out your faith, is not a mistake. Let me pray for you. God, this morning, I believe that you want to unleash your presence, your power in each of our lives. God, I believe that there are things that that we may have left undone, that, Lord, you want to see finished to completion. Lord, I pray that you would give us blessed assurance this week that our salvation in your name is true and good because of the fruit that we are producing. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities, Lord, that you would interrupt our day-to-day lives. God, to see the ways that you are wanting us to do good deeds, to live out the mercy and the grace that you've given us. Lord Jesus, would you wreck us with those things, and would you not let us go until we've reached them? Jesus, I love you so much, and we ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen.